The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. The witch hunt caught some witches. This is Thursday, November 2nd, 2017. Thank you very much for your time and your download and for supporting this independent news through my links for Target.com, my other sponsors, and through the donate button at BuzzBurbank.com. For many Americans, maybe most Americans, Monday was the best day they could remember since the day before the presidential election. People were cautious not to celebrate too much beyond a little gloating on social media, but there was a wave of palpable joy. The witch hunt the president had ranted about had caught some witches. It was news that made the weekend seem a little longer after word leaked Friday that a person or persons would be arrested on Monday. This week would not be the kind of week Trump and the Republicans had planned. With Congress about to take up sweeping changes in the tax laws and with the president leaving for a tense Asian trip, two people ensnared in the Trump-Russia investigation were arrested, and another, we learned, had pleaded guilty and turned witness for the prosecution some time ago. After six months of investigating, special counsel Robert Mueller has filed charges against three former officials of the Trump campaign in his investigation into Russia's interference in the 2016 election. In his indictments, Mueller began a case for collusion between the Trump campaign and the hostile foreign government of Russia. Thanks to those indictments, we now have evidence that the Russians approached the Trump campaign in April of last year, offering to help that campaign with dirt on Clinton through stolen emails. We know that higher-ups in the Trump campaign were informed of this offer from a hostile foreign power and did not report it to the FBI or any national security agency. We also know that Trump's son-in-law said he'd love the help and specifically asked for a late-summer revelation. Legally, that offer of help and acceptance of it spells conspiracy and collusion. The indictments came on Monday. On Tuesday, Mueller released more documents detailing the charges and how seriously the defendant should be treated. And it was in those papers that Mueller made the first mention of Russia. It was in those papers the government alleged that a Trump campaign manager, Manafort, had been paid millions by the Russians and to this day maintains offices in Moscow and Kiev. Paul Manafort was the big fish. Or which... He and a longtime business associate were charged with conspiring against the United States, mostly through alleged money laundering and for lying to the feds about their work as agents for a foreign government. But a far less familiar name may have been the most important indictment, Trump's campaign advisor, George Papadopoulos, who had, we learned Monday, pleaded guilty, struck a plea deal with Mueller, and became a witness for the prosecution months ago. Papadopoulos now admits to lying to the FBI about his efforts to connect the Trump campaign with the Russians and to get from the Russians dirt on Hillary Clinton, including those emails. The guilty plea from Papadopoulos was the first piece of legal evidence of collusion between the Trump campaign and the Russian government. The legal term for collusion is conspiracy. And Papadopoulos is now telling everything he knows. And because his arrest was kept secret for months and because his plea deal has been secret for a month, it's possible Papadopoulos was used by Mueller to gather more evidence, perhaps for as long as 90 days. He may have even worn a wire for 30 days or longer. The indictment describes Papadopoulos as now 
proactively cooperating with investigators, which sounds like more than just cooperating. At the very least, it means he's been volunteering stuff. Among the people from Trump's campaign who should be worried are Paul Manafort and his business buddy Richard Gates. Not so much for Papadopoulos, who's already earned himself a sweet plea deal, pleading guilty in trade for a much lighter sentence. By announcing these three indictments at once, Mueller is delivering the message that he will not be lied to, and that there are sweet plea deals still available for those who step up early. Manafort and Gates have entered not guilty pleas, but they can always change those pleas depending on how the bargaining with Mueller goes. Right now, they're both confined to their homes under house arrest. Both men are considered flight risks because they are rich and already have foreign connections. Both Manafort and Gates also have, according to court papers, a history of deceptive and misleading statements and, quote, strong evidence of guilt. Strong evidence of guilt. Manafort may even be wearing an ankle bracelet right now or some other kind of tracking device because, unlike Gates, Manafort is under what the federal courts call high-intensity supervision. Approaching age 70, Manafort is facing years in prison, a good reason for him to flip, to consider a plea deal of his own. Monday's indictment also included charges of conspiracy against the United States. It also uses the phrase, with others. With others. It doesn't name the others, it just says there are some. That may be the single most telling thing about Monday's indictments, that there are others. Stay tuned. Paul Manafort had exchanged emails about setting up a meeting between the Trump campaign and Russian officials. Manafort had mysteriously offered to work salary-free as Trump's campaign manager, and Trump accepted that offer. Manafort had met with a Russian spy named Konstantin Kalimnik, whose stated mission was to get the U.S. to back off sanctions against Russia for invading Ukraine, and Trump was the one candidate who would even consider that idea. Manafort resigned after reports he'd been working as a foreign agent for a Russian-backed Ukrainian political party. Manafort's home was recently raided by FBI agents trying to prevent the destruction of evidence in the Russia probe. Manafort's business buddy Rick Gates who was also indicted Monday, stayed with the campaign and ultimately served as director of Trump's inauguration. Witches have been found, and one of them has become a good witch. With Bob Mueller using the phrase strong evidence of guilt, Gates and Manafort have reason to be worried, along with others, of course. It's funny how federal grand jury indictments make people change their stories. In the spring of 2016, when candidate Donald Trump was asked by the Washington Post editorial board about his national security advisors, he had to ask an assistant for that list, which he then proudly read. When he got to the second name on the list, George Papadopoulos, he interjected, excellent guy. Yep, George was one of Trump's top five choices to head his campaign's national security team. Excellent guy. They sat at the same table in at least one meeting we know of. Excellent guy, apparently an important guy. But Trump changed his tune when Monday's indictments dropped. On Twitter, of course, Trump wrote that Papadopoulos was a, quote, low-level volunteer who was already proven to be a liar. Papadopoulos, no longer an excellent guy. Fake news, Trump tweeted again, and of course another push to investigate the Democrats instead of him. 
Both Trump and his press secretary declared no one important in the campaign had even noticed Papadopoulos and who'd told his superiors he was acting as an intermediary for the Russian government. And Papadopoulos has emails from his immediate superior praising his great work on the Russian connection and encouraging him to pursue that meeting with Russian officials. That superior, Sam Clovis, is now Trump's choice to be agriculture secretary and is due to be confirmed next month. Last year, Clovis was the national co-chair of the Trump campaign and Trump's top policy advisor. Sam Clovis, the campaign superior who encouraged the effort to link Trump and Putin, is also now a fully cooperative witness in the Mueller probe. He's been questioned by Mueller's team and he has already testified for Mueller's grand jury. When Clovis first learned of interest from Russia, George Papadopoulos was excited about just having met someone called the Professor and a Russian woman he thought was Putin's niece and that they talked about connecting the Trump campaign and the Russian government. The Trump camp can no longer claim that no one in the campaign spoke with Russians, nor can it claim there is no reason to suspect collusion. Republicans in Congress so far have had no problem with Mr. Clovis being Trump's choice for Ag Secretary, despite Clovis's lack of qualifications for the job. He was a right-wing radio talker in Iowa, and despite his record of disparaging blacks, women, gays, and others. By his method, Special Counsel Robert Mueller has warned Trump's people that individuals from his campaign are being arrested and flipped to become witnesses for the prosecution. Mueller's indictments send a message that he's offering sweet deals for those who speak now and damnation for those who lie. Mueller's strategy is being described as impressive and brilliant. His investigation described as detailed and wide-ranging and strategic. And by revealing the first guilty plea now, Mueller has given himself a bit more job security, making it less politically possible for Trump to fire Mueller. It isn't just an investigation anymore. It's now a prosecution. Most Republicans in Congress said little about the indictments, but a few of the more important ones have let it be known that firing Mueller would be, quote, stupid and unacceptable. But the Republican Congress has also failed to move on legislation that would make it harder for Trump to fire Mueller. White House sources say Trump learned of these indictments along with the rest of us through his television his staffers in the Oval Office were worried when Trump didn't report to work on time that morning. Trump was still upstairs in the residence watching it all unfold on TV. And staffers say Trump was furious that Mueller was getting into financial areas. And they say he revisited the idea of firing Mueller. It's what his friend Steve Bannon wants him to do. Bannon also wants lawmakers to cut off funding for the Mueller investigation. But Trump's lawyers and others in the White House reportedly talked him out of firing Mueller, at least for now, this week. Trump was also reportedly furious about his own people turning against him after running a campaign in which he said he surrounds himself with good people. We expect this to conclude soon, said Sarah Sanders. But even Trump's allies don't think it will. Trump tweeted, why aren't crooked Hillary and the Dems the focus? followed by five question marks. Just before Monday's indictments, we learned it was a conservative website funded by a big Republican campaign donor that first hired the research company that produced the Steele dossier. 
This dossier of dirt on Trump was assembled by trusted former British spy Christopher Steele. It outlines Russian collusion and salacious sexual allegations against Trump and was key to launching the FBI's investigation one year ago. This past week, we've learned it was this conservative website, the Washington Free Beacon, that was the first to hire research firm Fusion GPS to help the Republicans beat Donald Trump. When Trump became their clear frontrunner and other Republicans dropped out of the primaries, Fusion GPS was let go, only to be picked up by a wealthy Democratic Clinton supporter. And it was during that time Fusion GPS hired Christopher Steele, who produced this dossier that was never used either by the Democrats or Clinton. Steele was interviewed over the summer by special counsel Robert Mueller. As the lawyer for the company behind the research puts it, questions about who funded Mr. Steele's work should be secondary to its credibility. In other words, are the allegations in that dossier true? Parts of the dossier have already been confirmed to be true, and no part has been disproven. But Clinton's campaign manager and the former head of the Democratic Party also have new questions to answer. Both John Podesta and Debbie Wasserman Schultz told investigators for the Senate Intelligence Committee that they knew nothing about paying for opposition research. Since then, it's been revealed that Democrats did, in fact, employ Fusion GPS. The law firm representing the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Convention says it hired Fusion GPS, not the campaign committees. Now, Podesta and Wasserman Schultz might have to trudge back up Capitol Hill to be asked again about what they knew of this Trump oppo research. In the meantime, Podesta's brother, Tony, has lost over a dozen major clients at his lobbying firm because Tony also is a target of the Russian probe for working with Paul Manafort on helping that Russian-backed Ukrainian government. Also on Monday, Tony Podesta resigned from his lobbying firm. And leading up to this week's indictments, new insight into the Trump Tower meeting between Donald Trump Jr. and Kremlin lawyer Natalia Veselnitskaya. Veselnitskaya was reportedly excited to share dirt on Democratic donors avoiding taxes. She felt that by extension, it would hurt Clinton and help Trump. Veselnitskaya had also been excited about what she'd found and had already informed her Kremlin connection, and it's now become the party line in Moscow. Putin just repeated it himself last week. But Veselnitskaya has been claiming that the meeting was all her idea, that the Russian government knew nothing about it, which we now know is untrue. Don Jr. was excited, too, and said so in his emailed reply. If it's what you say it is, I love it. Jr. was so excited, he dragged along campaign manager Paul Manafort and presidential son-in-law Jared Kushner. They all left that meeting unimpressed, they say. They had gone to the meeting for real dirt on Clinton, something Trump Sr. had promised in a campaign speech at about that time, but never delivered. With a failed agenda one year after the election and with the Russia investigation closing in, many officials in the West Wing see this as a good time to exit the White House as gracefully as possible. It's been a year. They can always say they were with Trump in the first year before things went bad. They're frustrated that the latest developments in the Russia probe may keep the Trump agenda from moving forward. Quoting one veteran Republican, everyone is freaking out. Vanity Fair reports that West Wing workers are leaving the room when the subject of Russia comes up. Trump is reportedly blaming his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, for the bad advice that led to the naming of a special counsel 
that advice being to fire Mike Flynn and James Comey. Trump was reportedly convinced of Kushner's failings after a phone call Tuesday from Steve Bannon. Former Trump campaign aide Sam Nunberg in the new Vanity Fair says between Mueller investigating Trump and Kushner finances and record low poll numbers, Trump is doomed. In his words, Nunberg says he's effed. Republican lawmakers have their doubts as well. With Trump's enthusiastic base, they'd been afraid to go against Trump's politics or anything else about the man. But Trump's base continues to shrink. The latest Fox News poll puts Trump's disapproval at 57%, with 49% strongly disapproving. Trump's approval rating there has dropped to 38%. That's down 5% from last month, while disapproval is up by 6 Whereas more than two-thirds of white men without college supported Trump last month, more than two-thirds, this month it's barely over half. Support from working-class men is down 12% in a month. Nearly two-thirds disapprove of his handling of health care. And the Republicans who were hoping to ride his coattails through next year's congressional elections have a popularity level even lower than Trump's. Republicans trail Democrats in the congressional approval poll by a whopping 15%. Unless things change, that will lead to a Democratic sweep at about this time next year. The latest Gallup poll puts Trump's approval at 33%, quoting a Republican aide, they can't go any lower. Republicans continue, meanwhile, to battle themselves after former Trump advisor Steve Bannon declared a Breitbart war on moderate Republicans, Senate leader Mitch McConnell and friends have launched a campaign against Bannon. The plan is to attack Bannon personally, but to try to avoid hitting Trump, who remains Bannon's ally on many issues. Wish them luck. Or not. Tom Steyer says Trump is mentally unstable, a clear and present danger to the country, and should be impeached. We know this California man's opinion because he has a lot of money and he likes to spend it on politics. Steyer spent over $90 million fighting the climate change deniers and on supporting Democratic candidates. Now he's throwing his money at a campaign to get Republican lawmakers to impeach Donald Trump. In the TV ad in which Tom Steyer shares these opinions, he says a Republican Congress once impeached a president for far less. He points to the risk of nuclear war under Trump, the obstruction of justice with the firing of James Comey, and Trump's violation of the constitutional ban on a public official profiting from a foreign government while in office. If that isn't a case for impeaching and removing a president, then what has our government become, asks Steyer. Steyer has already spent tens of thousands of dollars on the TV ad campaign and another ten grand to run it on social media. Trump has responded, on Twitter, of course, that Steyer is, quote, wacky and totally unhinged. Two Russian propaganda news outlets and Trump defender Roger Stone are off Twitter now. Twitter announced it will ban ads from the Russian outlets Sputnik and RT, and it later suspended the personal account of former campaign advisor Roger Stone. Russia has promised it will retaliate for the Twitter ban. Stone says he'll be back. Stone was suspended for calling CNN anchor Don Lemon a piece of S and human excrement. He's accused Lemon and other reporters of lying about the Russia story, which he called fake news. 
Stone has done this before. Two months ago, he called Senator Mark Warner of the Senate Intelligence Committee a closeted piece of S. It was Stone who put Trump in touch with maniacal conspiracy theorist Alex Jones. It was Stone who pushed Trump to fire James Comey. It was Stone who once worked for Richard Nixon. Speaking of social media, Facebook is now requiring ad buyers to verify their identities and the funder of the ads who paid for them. It's what TV and radio stations already have to do. If social media had done the same last year, or if it had been required to do the same, the Russians would not have been able to buy disruptive online ads and make disruptive posts during the campaign and right into Election Day. Facebook says it's also developing a system to catch those who try to go around its new safeguards. Social media companies are maybe starting to up their games, knowing that if they don't make some new rules, Congress would be happy to do it for them. And they don't want that. Yesterday, representatives of the biggest social media platforms were on Capitol Hill answering questions for and getting scolded by skeptical lawmakers. This week, we learned that about 126 million Americans may have seen Facebook posts from Russian trolls. 126 million is about half the U.S. voting population. 29 million of us were served content that came straight from Russia's so-called Internet Research Agency, which is really a troll farm. Between our likes and shares, it spread exponentially to 126 million people. The trolls created 80,000 posts through 120 fake pages. Well over 11 million people saw ads that were purchased by the Russian troll farm, but those were not nearly as effective as the organic sharing of their posts from fake accounts. Twitter now says nearly 2,800 accounts can be traced to Russia. Between them, they fired off nearly 1.5 million tweets that were seen by 288 million people. Twitter found over 200 accounts from that Russian troll farm alone. Google said it had sold over $50,000 worth of ads to the Russians. That number may go higher. If there are any doubts about the size of the Russia propaganda attack on the U.S. election, they have now been washed away by these numbers. And investigating Democrats say this is just the tip of the iceberg, that the social media companies still haven't looked hard enough. Facebook didn't bat an eye when Russian rubles flowed into its account. We now know that Twitter offered Russia's top propaganda outlet 15% of its advertising space for $3 million. Clumsily and greedily, the big social media companies sold out this country in 2016. We've also started learning how sophisticated Russia's social media campaign has been with targeting as good as any marketing company. The Russians have either gotten very good at this or they got some help on who to target and where and with what inflammatory material. It took the Trump administration a month to get around to it, but it's finally issuing new sanctions against Russia for meddling in the 2016 election. This is not something the Trump White House wanted to do. Under Paul Manafort's guidance, the Trump campaign wanted the U.S. to ease up on Russia so much so, that was the campaign's one and only contribution to the new Republican Party platform. Since Inauguration Day, both Trump and Secretary of State Rex Tillerson have argued against new sanctions. Even Trump's Republican Congress has been so nervous about Trump's motives, it passed a resolution last month adding new sanctions and 
preventing Trump from undoing any of them on his own. Just because some of us saw rays of sunshine in Monday's indictments, the country's mood has not been good. The American Psychological Association says 59% of us think the U.S. is at the lowest point they can remember. 63% say they're stressed about the nation's future, a stress that's shared by a majority of both Democratic and Republican voters. Three in five of us are stressed about the cultural and political divisions in our country. Those concerns outweigh our concerns about health care and the economy. Even with this week's news, we're not out of the woods yet. Please stand by. That's the message that came from House Republicans on Tuesday when it became clear their tax plan wouldn't be ready in time for the Wednesday deadline they'd set for themselves. Thursday, they said, as in today. As it turns out, taxes are complicated, just like health care was. And it's just as difficult to please enough representatives to get a tax plan passed. It turns out that to make dramatic tax cuts in one place, you have to raise them in another to pay for the giveaway. Who knew? Early plans that were floated included cutting popular middle-class deductions, including the ones for state and local taxes and 401k contributions. Or they could raise taxes on the rich, but they'd have to raise them beyond what Republicans have said is their limit. Trump hasn't been much help. Despite his cheerleading, he sent mixed signals about where the plan is headed and turned up the pressure on the House to pass this by Thanksgiving and for Congress to have it on his desk by Christmas Eve. At last check this morning, Republicans didn't appear to have figured out how to pay for these historic tax cuts without upsetting the Republican lawmakers they need to pass them. Many lawmakers are running for re-election next year, and they don't want their voters to lose those meaningful deductions. For them, things are already bad enough. Good news for the economy and bad news for the planet. Kevin Spacey and Company, the latest terror attack, and a comment from Bob Seska after this. Autumn is here, and what better time to start bringing life and color indoors. It's time to embrace the season, and I'll bet you know someone who's in love with everything from fall colors to pumpkin spice, right? That's why it's a perfect time to go to proflowers.com and check out their best-selling cinnamon cider roses, a long-lasting bouquet that's perfect for any occasion this fall. Or check out their 100 autumn blooms, or even a dozen of their autumn roses. And if you choose any one of these items for $29 or more, Pro Flowers will take 20% off the price. 20% just because you heard about it here. The fall bouquet they sent here is absolutely breathtaking. And remember, Pro Flowers bouquets are guaranteed to stay fresh for at least seven days or your money back. As always, you pick the delivery date. Pro Flowers gives you more bloom for your buck. Big, beautiful flowers with long, healthy stems. Again, get 20% off all bouquets of $29 or more when you go to proflowers.com and use our code REALM at checkout. That's R-E-L-M in the discount code box when you check out at proflowers.com. Thank you for using my sponsors and for also supporting this free news through the PayPal button at buzzburbank.com. A little over two years ago, the ISIS magazine, yes, they have a magazine online, called for its supporters to use trucks to mow down pedestrians at big public events, to flee the vehicle when that mayhem could not be continued, to draw knives or guns, and to make it clear through a shout or a leaflet that this terror was brought to you by ISIS. 
It wasn't the biggest of New York events, but school was just letting out on Halloween with kids eager to trick-or-treat and the city's happy and popular Halloween parade. And then a truck rented from a Home Depot in New Jersey came barreling down a bike path along Broadway in lower Manhattan, mowing down cyclists and pedestrians. After making it through one intersection after another, the truck ultimately broadsided a school bus, and that mayhem could not be continued. That's when the driver jumped out of the truck, armed with what looked like two guns, and shouted, Allahu Akbar, which is Arabic for God is greater. Police shot him in the gut, captured him, and took him to a hospital. Yesterday, he was wheeled into court to face federal charges. In the truck that served as a weapon was a note explaining he did it for ISIS. We now know the plan had been two years in the making. The NYPD says he appears to have had ties to terror suspects they do know. Eight people died, five from Argentina and one from Belgium, along with two Americans. Nearly a dozen people were hurt. Even on a dramatically smaller scale, it was still the most deadly terror attack in New York since 9-11-2001. The suspect is a 29-year-old who came to the U.S. seven years ago from Uzbekistan. Uzbekistan is not on Trump's travel ban list, even though it is a hotbed of terrorism. For the past seven years, Saifulo Saipov has lived here in the Tampa area, in Ohio, and lately in New Jersey. Investigators have already determined that Saipov was radicalized here in this country, not in Uzbekistan. It was, however, another reason for Trump to try to crack down on immigration, and this time to make it political. Trump and some of his far-right friends took to attacking Democratic Senate leader Chuck Schumer, who sponsored what became known as the Diversity Visa Lottery. The State Department would, in essence, draw names on some visa decisions so that immigrants from more obscure countries could get an equal shot at a visa. Saifulu Saipov was one of the lottery winners, and Trump began pointing fingers at Schumer, disregarding the fact that Schumer was part of a bipartisan group that voted to end the program. But Trump called it a Chuck Schumer beauty and has since vowed to replace that already eliminated lottery with what he calls merit-based immigration. Trump tweeted all of this 14 minutes after it had been spoken on Fox and Friends. Schumer tweeted, I guess it's not too soon to politicize a tragedy referring to Trump's objections to a gun debate after the Las Vegas shooting. Trump has proposed cutting off the money spent on fighting terrorism in his most recent budget. And Trump has also chosen this occasion to again attack the U.S. justice system, again undermining one of the three branches of government and undercutting faith in that government. In a cabinet meeting yesterday, Trump said, quote, What we have right now is a joke and a laughingstock, and no wonder so much of this stuff takes place. Our judicial branch is the same branch that's struck down Trump's Muslim ban and his transgender ban, and it's the same branch that may decide the fate of Trump himself, along with a number of his associates. In the meantime, Trump may have jeopardized the prosecution of this week's terror suspect by saying that Saifulo Saipov should be executed. That gives Saipov's lawyers reason to argue their client now cannot get a fair trial. Climate change, you ask? We haven't had this much carbon dioxide in our air since, well, since nearly a million years ago. The latest report from the World Meteorological Organization shows that the CO2 in the air is increasing at a terrifying rate. Last year's increase was 
50% higher than, oh, pick any year out of the last decade. Last year's increase was the biggest in 30 years. Over the past 70 years, the CO2 increase has been 100 times more than what it was at the end of the last ice age 800,000 years ago. Scientists say this much CO2 in the air means we will not hit the goal we have set for keeping the planet from overheating. Cities, counties, states, and privately owned companies are working together with other nations to try to meet those goals anyway, but they are doing so without the cooperation of the Trump government. Last week, I witnessed a long line at the checkout at a store that sells nothing but Halloween stuff. If we have waited for the economy to bounce back, we wait no longer, at least collectively as a country. The economy grew impressively over the past three months by 3%. The gross domestic product grew. It grew 1% in August, the biggest increase since 2009 when the Obama government offered cash for clunkers to get polluting vehicles off the roads. Granted, some, maybe a lot, of the increase in spending last month went to replacing and rebuilding after a rash of hurricanes, and there'll be even more spending on that in the coming months. But confident consumers carried cash into that economy last month with an increase in other spending because personal income was also up by more than 2%. We clearly have money to spend on Halloween. October 26th was an interesting day for several reasons. Here's the first one. It was on that date last week that women started working without pay. This was not their idea. But since women still make 20% less than men for comparably valuable work, that means that October 26th is the day they work without pay for the remainder of the year while men keep on earning. That's an overall average, of course. As always, it depends on the job, the hours, the job requirements, and even location. But economists agree that factoring in those things, there's still a pay gap. The gap is even greater for women with brown skin. Salaries are up for white and Asian women, but salaries flatlined for Latinas and fell for African-American women. A house of cards has come crashing down. Two, actually. The TV show House of Cards is going away, at least as we know it because the house of cards that has been the life of actor Kevin Spacey came crashing down too, and it was Spacey who made both houses fall. As entertainers, politicians, and journalists began to talk frankly about sexual harassment and assault in their industries, lots of houses are falling. 31 years ago, Spacey was 26 and hosting a party for other Broadway actors in his New York apartment. One of the actors was a 14-year-old boy, Anthony Rapp, who had a key role in the musical Rent, Today, that young actor is now a cast member on Star Trek Discovery and inspired by the Me Too movement to expose sexual harassment and assault. When Spacey's party ended, all the guests left except Rap. He says Spacey then made advances on him, carried him as a groom might carry a bride, and fell on top of him. After Rap told his story this week, a few hours passed, and at around midnight, Kevin Spacey took to Twitter saying he did not remember the incident and that he was deeply horrified to hear of it. Spacey also apologized, sort of, tweeting, If I did behave, then, as he describes, I apologize for what would have been deeply inappropriate drunken behavior. Spacey was careful not to confirm anything Rapp had said and apologized for what would have been inappropriate behavior. And Spacey tweeted that if anything untoward did occur, 
it was because of alcohol. But Spacey drove the final nail in the coffin of his impressive acting career by, after all these years, taking that moment to also announce that he's gay. Spacey's actual sexuality has been the subject of speculation for decades. Was coming out now a way to deflect attention from the alleged molestation of a minor? His fellow gays, lesbians, and others were appalled. Spacey had just sold them out, setting back gay rights by years through reinforcing false stereotypes. Anti-gay activists have argued, contrary to the facts, that gays are a threat to children, that they shouldn't be teachers or scout leaders. And Kevin Spacey just reinforced that false bias. Now a second actor has come forward, Mexican actor Roberto Cavazos, who says he met Spacey at a theater in London where Spacey was the artistic director until he landed the show House of Cards. Cavazos posted in Spanish, there are many of us with a Kevin Spacey story. Over at Netflix, an Emmy-winning show with an Emmy-worthy cast could no longer rely on the show's star and producer. In a weak first response, Netflix announced it would end the show at the end of next season. Since production had already begun on that sixth season, Netflix was reluctant to throw away a ton of money. In a revised decision, Netflix says House of Cards will end and be replaced with a sequel. Veteran actor Dustin Hoffman is among the latest to apologize after he, too, was accused of groping a production assistant on the set in 1985 during the making of Death of a Salesman. Actor Jeremy Piven has soundly denied the accusations made by a reality TV personality Ariane Bellamar. She says Piven groped her on the set of Entourage. Piven has also saluted the victims who have come forward in real cases. And Olivia Munn is among the actresses accusing director Brett Ratner of inappropriate behavior. Two of the women say Ratner pleasured himself in their presence. Sexual inequality in Hollywood is the subject of this week's commentary from Salon.com writer Bob Seska. Thank you, Buzz. Today, a little bit of a change of pace. A disturbing new article in The New Yorker recounts the latest Harvey Weinstein sexual horror stories, this time told by actresses Annabella Sciorra and Daryl Hannah. Both women describe living in constant fear of the now-disgraced Hollywood power player. After too many years of intimidation and silence, Sciorra and Hannah are the latest names to be added to a roster of at least 50 nightmarish incidents involving sexual assault and harassment of women who dared to you know, get work as professional actresses in a town that's clearly less liberal than it seems. Given the recent news of sexual assault, it's morbidly hilarious to me that corporate Hollywood continues to be characterized as ground zero for liberalism. While the industry is loaded with self-identified leftists and Democratic donors, it's really nothing more than a profit-driven town. Liberal Hollywood, quote-unquote, wouldn't exist without corporatism, and corporatism brings with it a brand of morally disconnected sociopathy, not unlike what occurs on Wall Street or in boardrooms around the world, where decisions are stripped of all humanity in the name of satisfying the bottom line. There are far too many women who are being squeezed by that industry, women who are inescapably trapped between being gainfully employed and being relentlessly harassed and intimidated in the process of pursuing their life's work. A few years ago, Patricia Arquette made national news by calling for wage equality and equal rights when accepting her Supporting Actress Oscar for Boyhood. 
Since then, not much has changed to ameliorate the concerns of Arquette and other feminists who deserve more from the industry that has exploited and, in some cases, severely damaged them for profit. A 2016 study for the Annenberg School of Communication and Journalism at USC concluded that of all the characters in American film who were 40 years or older, only 21% were women. Out of 11,306 characters across all entertainment media, including broadcast cable and streaming, there are two male cast members for every female cast member. In liberal Hollywood, this study concluded, film was less likely than broadcast or cable to show women 40 years of age or older. Streaming was the most likely, though, with females filling just 33.1% of roles for middle-aged and elderly characters. Furthermore, even though women are grotesquely underrepresented, they're most often sexualized on screen, be it with sexy clothing or nudity or being characterized as physically attractive. We probably didn't need a study to tell us that one. Among nude scenes in film, 33.4% feature female nudity, while only 10.8% feature male nudity. Oh, and regarding the corporate climate in the movie industry, only 19% of studio board members are women. Yes, we all have our contradictions. As a student of film with close friends who work in that industry, I'm not indicting all of Hollywood here. But the alleged liberalism of that town clearly doesn't include one of the major tenets of the left, racial and gender equality. Given the numbers in the Annenberg study, Hollywood really isn't even trying. I suppose over a long enough timeline, reaching back to the early part of the 20th century, we can track some progress toward equality. But in 2017, there's no excuse for this unforgivable level of sexism to exist, especially in the information age when feedback is immediate and everyone is a critic. So how are women in Hollywood expected to wrap their heads around the demands of the industry? We're not breaking any news by observing that creative people, especially actors, are vain and insecure about their physical appearances. If you or I saw our faces blown up and projected onto a screen the size of a small building, we might be too. Every imperfection becomes exponentially magnified, even on small screens, which, in the age of 4K resolution, DVR, freeze frames, plasma, and flat screens, aren't so small anymore. Amplify these understandable insecurities with an industry that demands visual perfection and has consistently refused to cast women, and only women, who happen to be older than 40. Robert Downey Jr., who plays Iron Man, is 52. Ben Affleck, the latest incarnation of Batman, is 45. It's not exactly breaking news that when female actors even come close to that age, they're usually cast away on ice flows to die slow deaths at sea, while much younger actresses are cast as middle-aged men's love interests. One reason why Patricia Arquette made it to an Oscar acceptance speech at age 47 is that she was cast by an indie director, Richard Linklater, in a highly unorthodox project. Another byproduct of this industry that demands physical perfection of its women has been the macabre cosmetic surgery industry. One female actor after another has semi-voluntarily shoved herself into the surgical meat grinder in order to continue working. We've seen the results time and time again. A-list actresses have been unfairly shamed and ridiculed for plastic surgery, quote-unquote, disasters by the same observers who ridicule other 40-plus women for looking too old. It's a heartbreaking no-win scenario for even the most powerful actresses in town. Indeed, there are hardly any 40-plus women in Hollywood who have successfully navigated around the unspoken demand for size-zero clothing and unnaturally smooth faces. Outside Hollywood, too, women over 40 in all walks of life are subjected to hectoring and coercion by the practically unattainable standards of pop culture. These standards are extensions and reflections of generalized male superficiality when it comes to female beauty. 
Yet average American women often can't afford the same top-shelf doctors found in Hollywood and end up with results of a less-than-Hollywood quality, underscoring the maxim that we get what we pay for. In this regard, the Hollywood demand for surgery literally bleeds out to women of all walks of life, whether or not they can afford it. While no phenomenon this complicated is caused by just one factor, it should be obvious to rational observers that male dominance in Hollywood and the clear-as-day misogyny that goes along with it are, in tandem, damaging the health, welfare, and self-esteem of women both inside and outside of Hollywood. The way Hollywood manhandles, exploits, and yes, mutilates women for profit isn't exclusive to the film industry, but its real-life horror stories are more visible and its contradictions more glaring. If gender equality and the basic ideal of fairness are impossible to achieve in what is allegedly the most liberal town in America, how can these goals possibly be achieved elsewhere? Perhaps the visibility of Hollywood's flaws, along with the fallout from Harvey Weinstein's serial misogyny, will finally motivate the movie industry to change for the better. It has to. I'm Bob Seska for Buzz Burbank News and Comment. Thanks, Bob. There's more from him at Salon.com and Tuesdays and Thursdays on The Bob Seska Show at RealmNetwork.com. Join me there every Tuesday. Casualties continue to mount in the war on sex abuse. The head of NPR's newsroom has now resigned after accusations of sexual harassment. Two women say he kissed them without permission during their job interviews. Michael Oresquez has quit his job, apologized, called his behavior inexcusable, and said he accepts full responsibility. This in the wake of a string of sexual harassment claims against Fox News. And the president is still being pursued for his alleged harassment. He calls it fake news, but 16 women accused Trump of harassment during the campaign. Some of those 16 women now have witnesses who've backed up their stories, and they're suing Trump for defamation of character. Trump had called the women liars. Two days ago, Trump's lawyers filed court papers saying their client was expressing a political opinion, not a personal one. Kristen Anderson says Trump slid his fingers under her skirt and touched her genitals through her underwear. She has two corroborators, according to the Washington Post. Natasha Stoinoff says Trump forced a kiss, including tongue, on the first anniversary of his third marriage. She says Trump had lured her into a room at Mar-a-Lago and told her they'd be having an affair. She has four corroborators. In those cases, and more than a dozen others, Trump had allegedly done all of the things he told Billy Bush he had done in a recording that was released less than an hour before the publication of Democratic emails stolen by Russia. Trump's transgender ban has been blocked. On the same day that Trump was reeling from Mueller's indictments, he learned that a federal court had blocked his order to prevent transgender people from joining the U.S. military. The judge says the transgenders who already serve in the military will probably win their lawsuit against Trump over his order, so she ruled the ban may not be enforced until that is settled. The judge believes the transgender soldiers will win their suit because, quote, There is absolutely no support for the claim that transgender people would have any negative effect on the military. In fact, the judge continued, there is considerable evidence the banning of such individuals would have such effects. The part of Trump's ban that stopped medical treatment for transitioning remains in effect until this is settled. There may be as many as 15,000 transgender members of the military right now. 
A judge who'd refused to hear adoption cases involving gay parents is being forced to resign. Kentucky Judge W. Mitchell Nance made national news earlier this year when he declared he would not hear cases with gay parents as a matter of conscience. But Kentucky law says gay couples may adopt children and a judge is required to rule based on the law. Gay and civil rights groups filed formal complaints with the state's Judicial Conduct Commission asking that Nance be removed for his admitted bias. When the commission notified Judge Nance he would face proceedings, he announced he's resigning. Say, where did all the Nazis go? Expecting to see neo-Nazis in town for a, not kidding, White Lives Matter protest in Shelbyville, Tennessee... Counter-protesters got up early on a cloudy morning and huddled at the Nazis' planned protest site. That was 8 o'clock on a Saturday. By 10 a.m., there were no Nazis, even though the event had been promoted by several white supremacist groups. By 10.30, a handful had gathered to declare that white lives matter. By 11 a.m., there were about 100, 75 fewer than the organizers expected. A counter-protester with a microphone shouted, Some master race can't even show up on time. There would be more shouting, but no violence. The neo-Nazi groups had already taken steps to avoid another Charlottesville. Across from the hundred racists here were over 200 people on hand to stand on the side of equality. When the neo-Nazis tried to speak, they were drowned out by the crowd of counter-protesters. The corresponding White Lives Matter rally in Murfreesboro that day was canceled when the busload of white supremacists from out of town never showed up. The JFK Files, The Big Naked Lady, and Halloween 2017 in the third and final segment up next. Now a word about the sponsors of this program and other shows here on the Realm Network. After a fine relationship with Amazon that has lasted more than four years, my Amazon link will no longer be promoted on this show. Amazon unceremoniously canceled its affiliation with Realm's Bob Seska show, citing the dubious offense of urging people to support his show by shopping Amazon. It's what I and all podcasters have been doing with their Amazon affiliations for years, but for reasons still unclear, Amazon has made its decision and refuses to hear an appeal. For that reason, we are ending our promotion of Amazon. For now, the one tiny Amazon link you'll find on my page still works, and I still get a commission from the things you buy there. If you have bookmarked that link, your Amazon shopping still benefits this program. Keep using that bookmark if you like. But starting next week, I'll be talking more about my new Target link, which has great benefits of its own. Becoming a Red Card member at Target.com through my link will not only get you fast, free delivery on most items, you'll save 5% on every purchase. Thank you for your understanding in the wake of this turmoil, and I hope you'll continue to support this show through Target, my other great sponsors, and with donations through the PayPal button. The preparations were supposed to have begun six months ago to release the JFK files. The files were kept secret for 50 years. 25 years ago, Congress ordered them released by the White House on Thursday, October 26, 2017. Trump happened to be president at the time, so it was upon his administration to give the CIA, the FBI, and other similar agencies a chance to redact a thing or two to protect our present-day national security. But this administration didn't do that. Trump touted on Twitter that he'd be the guy releasing everything, including the stuff he called very interesting. 
but his administration had not prepared for Thursday, October 26, 2017, which is why it will be another six months before the rest of the rest of the documents are released. Trump apparently thought the documents could be released as is. The CIA and FBI and others are now going over those files to do the thing they should have been given a chance to do six months ago. Still, in the meantime, thousands of pages of documents have been released, and although a lot of the material will be of interest to those who study that assassination, nothing in those documents so far has changed our basic conclusions about that terrible historic event. Nothing confirms Trump's claim that Ted Cruz's dad had something to do with the Kennedy assassination. In announcing that not all of the documents were being released on schedule, Trump tweeted, In the end, there will be great transparency. It is my hope to get just about everything public. Because we have work deadlines and bills to pay, more than one in four of us go to work when we're sick. That makes other people sick, which is even more disturbing when you consider that about half of us don't get our flu shots. Even though more than half of us would tell a sick coworker to go home, only 26% of us wouldn't take that advice. Men are twice as bad about this as women. The advice does not change from year to year. Wash your hands frequently, get vaccinated, cover your nose and mouth when you sneeze or cough, and stay home if you're sick. About a month ago, I reported that a 45-foot statue of a nude woman was to stand alongside the Washington Monument in Washington, D.C. At the time, the National Park Service had reportedly granted permission for the statue to stand on the National Mall for four months as a reminder that the Equal Rights Amendment for Women has been an unachieved goal since 1923. There was to have been a round-the-clock vigil at the foot of the statue for those four months to campaign for the ratification still of the ERA. As you have gathered from the past tense of this story, that statue will not be on the National Mall, nor will it have a round-the-clock vigil. We now know the Park Service has not and will not grant that permit. The group promoting the idea had raised nearly $100,000 to pay for moving that display to the Capitol from its point of creation at the Burning Man Festival near Reno, Nevada two years ago. The group says it was expecting a yes since it had heard no objections to its application. As it turns out, 45 feet is the tallest temporary structure the Park Service will allow, and with its base, this statue stands at a little over 47 feet. The statue was to have been separated into two pieces and loaded onto a truck bound for Washington tomorrow. This week, organizers learned it's not happening, much like the Equal Rights Amendment for women. There are so many stories about humans encountering snakes every late summer and fall. Once fascinated, I now mostly ignore them because they come nonstop. But then came this. In Australia, a woman panicked when she saw a snake in her backyard. She called a snake catcher, a 24-7 snake catcher called the snake catcher. Real name, Stuart McKenzie. McKenzie says the woman seemed quite stressed. I'm sitting still for the time being, said the woman. Can you get someone here as soon as possible? Mackenzie sent one of his snake wranglers to the woman's home, expecting to find one of those red-bellied black snakes. It wasn't, though. It was a black rubber strap in her backyard. In the end, says Mackenzie, I think she was a bit relieved it wasn't a snake. 
Most of this year's Halloween stories are about pumpkins, sort of. The best news is that police in Maryland Heights, Missouri, recovered, in time for the holiday, nearly 50 pumpkins that local teenage hooligans had stolen from people's yards. Pumpkin snatching had been reported in two subdivisions, and the latest call yielded a vehicle description. From there, police tracked down a Subaru that was filled, and I mean filled, with pumpkins. No idea how they fit it all in there, says the captain leading the pumpkin caper investigation. There was room, however, in that Subaru for three boys, one of them 16, the others 18. Amazingly, no pumpkins were injured. The 18-year-olds were arrested. The 16-year-old turned over to juvenile court. Police then put the pumpkins in a police lineup, lined up along a wall for the public to come and identify and reclaim their pumpkins. And just in time for Halloween. It is rutting season for the elk of Colorado. Time for a bull elk to burn off some testosterone by fighting other elk or just about anything. Outside a hotel in Estes Park, two testosterone-spewing males butted heads as they fought over who would eat the pumpkins in the hotel's Halloween display. The battling elk destroyed the display in the process. At one point, the battle caused one pumpkin to go rolling down a hill. Both elk at that moment stopped fighting, watched the pumpkin roll down the hill, and then went back to fighting. Okay, so it wasn't a real pumpkin, but in Sherwood Forest, Ohio, a group of neighbors walked four miles following a deer in hopes they could help it get a big orange plastic pumpkin off its snout. The deer had obviously gotten his snout stuck in the artificial fruit and horrified neighbors who'd been watching this poor thing go without food or water for four days. Among them was a guy who works in a wildlife rescue. So they started following the deer carefully. Somehow they got the plastic pumpkin off the deer's snout and the deer scampered away unharmed. That mangled plastic bucket now sits in the wildlife guy's pet store where it collects donations for wildlife rescue. And a pineapple definitely isn't a pumpkin, but since pumpkins are banned from the dorms at the University of Akron, cheeky freshman Alex Schwartz carved a Halloween pineapple for his room. The RA didn't buy it and removed the well-carved tropical fruit. This kid Schwartz was not happy. There's a rule against pumpkins in my dorm, he tweeted, but it doesn't say anything about pineapples. This, he tweeted, means war. And the resident advisor surely didn't like it when Schwartz created a long row of jack-o'-lantern carved apples in the hallway. The school says it doesn't allow fruit in the dorm to keep out insects and rats, except for during the pumpkin carving contest its culinary arts club had just conducted. At last check, Schwartz was dreaming of a cantaloupe or perhaps a head of lettuce. If by some chance... You or your kid hit the mother load on real black licorice this year. You should probably sit down. No, it isn't poison. You should sit down because real black licorice, when adults eat too much of it, can cause heart palpitations, arrhythmia, and if you have high blood pressure, heart failure. Now, most so-called licorice sold today is really flavored with anise, which tastes exactly the same as licorice, without the side effects. The FDA has long wanted genuine black licorice to be classified as a drug since it does a number on the body in large doses. It causes your potassium level to drop, to crash. 
The good news is as soon as you stop eating the licorice, your potassium levels return to normal, leaving no permanent damage. True black licorice can also interact with some medications and some supplements, including certain cooking herbs. The FDA's advice? Ask your doctor if real licorice is right for you. We end this year's Halloween segment with a scary story. It was the photo of a dark-eyed child, the toddler daughter of Donald Trump Jr. The tweet read, I'm going to take half of Chloe's candy tonight and give it to some kid who sat at home. It's never too early to teach her about socialism. It was actually something Jr. had heard from conspiracy radio host Alex Jones, and it did not play well on Twitter. One woman contradicted Junior's economics lesson, tweeting, You literally took her door-to-door demanding free handouts. A guy tweeted, Giving away candy to some kids stuck at home would be a really kind thing to do. He was a lucky man being a Dodgers fan and living so close to the stadium. He was a lucky man to have tickets to Game 2 of the World Series in which the Dodgers hosted the Houston Astros there in Los Angeles. He was a lucky man to have good seats at that game. He could even see his house from where he was sitting. But his luck ended in the eighth inning because he could also see that his house was on fire. One of two fires being fought by L.A. firefighters near the stadium that day. No one was injured in those fires, partly because one of the homeowners was at the game. The Astros won the series in the final game 5-1. to one. They have a new train in Stockholm, Sweden. They call it Trainee McTrainface. That's not its nickname. That's its official name after a vote taken by the Swedish newspaper Metro. Sweden's transit officials have long proven flexible when it comes to naming trains. They have just named one after a TV host and another named Glenn for all the guys on a cup-winning soccer team named Glenn. Swedish transit officials say they felt they had to listen to the people and named the train Trainee McTrain Face after the big public disappointment in Great Britain where officials rejected the people's choice to name a British polar research ship Bodie McBoatface. It isn't clear how 38-year-old Jeremy Van Ert got locked in the refrigerated storage at a convenience store in Marshfield, Wisconsin, but he did, and he wound up spending the night there. When the quick trip opened the next morning, a customer mentioned that it sounded as though there was someone in the walk-in cooler. When the manager opened the cooler, Van Ert reportedly ran out of the store. The manager also noted that about a half dozen beers were missing, including three malt liquors, and that three more cans of beer had been accidentally destroyed. Police finally caught up with Van Ert, who was already on probation when he entered that cold room. One of the terms of his probation is that he not drink. A high-speed police chase in Ohio last week involved a dozen cop cars, state and local, and lasted for 45 miles. It happened during the busy morning commute in Cleveland. A sedan was weaving through traffic, leading a parade of police cruisers. When they finally, gently, nudged the car off the road and brought it to a stop, they were again face-to-face with a 10-year-old boy. It was... The same boy police had corralled just over a month ago in that same car. Back then, the boy's mother told police the 10-year-old was just bored. This time, she called 911 to report that the boy and his dad's car were missing again. Quoting a witness, he was a very short kid, three feet tall. I don't see how he even looked over the steering wheel. But the witness adds, he was a good driver for being 
10. And finally, those yellow road signs that show the silhouette of a leaping deer. You'd be surprised how many people don't know what that sign means. The Iowa Department of Transportation says it hears all the time from people with questions, including, quote, why don't you put these signs where it is safer for the deer to cross? The questions would appear to assume that deer can read and would cross at a safer location if we simply moved their sign for them. The question comes up often enough. The Iowa Transportation Department posted on Facebook this week, Deer can't read. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening and for supporting the shows and sponsors at BuzzBurbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.